Um, some of y'all that are uh, here on a, a weekly basis are probably like, wait a minute, I had, my, I had my little Bible tassel in Revelation 9. I was ready to go. That was where I, what I was expecting this morning. Well, that's what I was expecting this morning too. Uh, but sometimes when, when uh, well, another pastor in our association said, uh, uh, always remember your pastor's in sales. He's not in management. Um, that he has somebody above him that's kind of given him the orders what to do. And when management sends a memo down that says the, the sermon is changing, the sermon is changing. Um, so we will be back in Revelation next week, unless, of course, I get another memo, um, in which case uh, we'll do that. But as for this week, we need to be in Matthew 4. Um, uh, how many of y'all are, are, are well... This is probably a bad question to ask because we, we have some, some quote-unquote professional ministry people here today. Um, how many of y'all work in some environment where your paycheck or your retirement or your fixed income that you get right now came from something other than vocational ministry? Anybody? If you, if you are not, if your income does not come from vocational ministry, that's what I'm looking for. That's most, that's most folks in here, I, w- I would think. Uh, we as a church, big C church, but maybe also us as a little C church, me as your pastor, we do a bad job sometimes of explaining that God does not intend for his entire church to be made up of people in vocational ministry. That's, that's by design. Um, that we in our brain, we classify our, our jobs, our skills, our passions, our talents into one of two buckets. This is either, it's either a churchy bucket, that these are the kinds of skills, talents, and passions, and usefulnesses that are, are good for use in, in church. And if I have this kind of stuff, then that's awesome. Then I'm cut out for serving in a church. And then there is the non-churchy bucket. That if I have these skills, talents, abilities, gifts, resources, these don't seem to fit readily within a church. So my contribution to the church will either be my attendance or my money or something like that. But I'm not going to bring these to the table because these are not churchy talents and skills and abilities when guys ladies the reality is that anything that god has gifted you goes in this bucket if you will surrender it to him as weird as you might think it is god can use that for his glory and the growth of his kingdom if you will just surrender it to him so i want us to look at just Three verses in Matthew 4 today. We'll probably look in the the couple after it too, but we're not going to spend much time on 21 and 22. I want us to just look at Matthew 4, 18 through 20 this morning um, and talk about two men named Peter and Andrew and what happened to them when they came across a man named Jesus. Um, So if you'll stand with me out of respect for the reading of God's Word, um, we're going to read Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. 
Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. Father, I'm excited about this sermon because I know it's the sermon you wanted preached this morning. Um, that you orchestrated all kinds of things over the last two, maybe even three weeks that kind of led to this sermon being put together. So I know this is what you want us as a church to be talking about, discussing, and thinking about today. Lord, I pray that you would use this um, for the growth of your kingdom. I think that's what you, why you brought us here. Um, Lord, I, I hope that you will use this to preach the gospel to someone today that, that doesn't understand that you want them right now. You want them the way they are. You love them, you love them the way they are, but you love them too much to leave them that way. Um, so, Lord, I pray that you would just use this for everything you intend this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So I named this sermon, Who Are You and What Can You Be? Because I want this to function as a question for you this morning. Um, I'm going to have plenty of objective statements to tell you this is what the Bible says, but I, this sermon is not going to get very much mileage if you don't apply it and ask yourself this question. That... I want to stand in front of you today and tell you that if you are a Christian, Jesus intends to use you in your local church. If you are a member here, Jesus intends to use you here with what you've got right now. And if you're passionate about something in this local church and you say, I'm passionate about it, but I don't have what I need to do, what I think God wants to do here, maybe He's waiting on you to drop what you're doing and say yes to Him so that He can provide what you need to do what He has made you passionate about. That if God has called you here, God called you here to serve Him here. As who you are with what you bring to the table, which you do bring things to the table because He's given each of us different things. You know, we always say, well, we, none of us have anything, that it's all God's. That's true, but stewardship means that God has entrusted something to you. So when God calls you to a local church... When you hear the gospel and you get saved and you come to Jesus Christ and you join the local church, He didn't intend you to sit soaking sour. He intended you to, to just blossom and grow into something amazing and greater than you were when you got here and maybe even similar to when you got here. Let's dive into this. So first... Let's look and see that Jesus can find His people anywhere doing anything. Can anybody in here vouch for that? Jesus can find His people anywhere. Uh, there are certain when you go to the grocery store, you know everything has its aisle, everything has its place. That if you want pasta, you go to this aisle. If you want cheese, you go to this aisle. If you want uh, baby diapers that are made out of absolute solid gold, because that they must be. <laughs> You go to this aisle, uh, that everything has its place. It's not like there's, a, there's an aisle of humanity that when Jesus looks for somebody, He goes, okay, these are all the people fit for using. I'm going to go to this aisle, and He pulls all of them out. Jesus can find His people anywhere. Look at verse 18. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers called Peter and or Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. So let's put 
what's happening in Scripture in the context of what's going on. This event takes place relatively early in the ministry of Jesus that we see in the book of Matthew. Uh, After being baptized by John in the Jordan in Matthew 3, uh, Jesus was led uh, led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. You can read that in Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Um, So after being tested... He leaves Nazareth to move to Capernaum, which is by the sea, in order to fulfill Old Testament prophecy. You can see that in verses 12 through 16. Now, after verse 16, we're told in verse 17, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This marks the beginning in the Gospel of Matthew of the public ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so this is when... Jesus begins actually preaching. Now he's been around since then, and if you go and you look in in you know the Gospel of John, you know sometimes you see you even see the wedding at Cana when Jesus turns water to wine, and his mother comes to him and says they're out of wine, and Jesus said, "Well, well, my time has not yet come. That it's not we haven't reached the beginning of." But obviously, you know, he's still... It doesn't mean that Jesus is any less Jesus before this point. Jesus is still all the Jesus that we know and love, but his public ministry begins in verse 17, and it begins when he's in Capernaum. Now, two things would have been natural due to his living in Capernaum. One, fishermen would have been plentiful due to the city's proximity to the sea. That fishing would have been a popular job. In Capernaum. So Peter and Andrew are by no means the only fishermen out there plying their trade. You can actually even look in verse 21 and see this going on from there. He saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets. He called them and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. So there's apparently a plethora of fishermen out here on the sea, but Jesus specifically speaks to these men. So first, fishermen would have been plentiful. Uh, Second, the fishermen would have likely known who Jesus was due to their proximity to his ministry. Uh, So Jesus has fishermen readily available, and the fishermen have Jesus readily available. So this was probably not the first time they had seen or heard Jesus speak. This was just the first time that Jesus spoke specifically to them. In verse 18, there's honestly not that y'all... You don't have to have a seminary degree to figure out what happens in verse 18. Jesus is out for a walk by the sea, and he sees two brothers... Simon, who we know is Peter, and his brother. And they're out casting a net into the sea. And Matthew probably could have ended that verse right there, and it would have made sense to us. Right? If someone is casting a net into the sea, what would you logically deduce that their job is? They're fishermen. That would seem fairly obvious. But think for this. This is coming to you... From a perspective of, you've got this whole New Testament in front of you right now. When you think of Peter, you probably think of several other moments in his life that come after this moment. You might think 
Uh, maybe you think uh, the book of Acts when they get hauled in front of the council for preaching in the temple. Maybe you think, unfortunately, of the time that he denied Christ three times before the rooster crowed. Uh, maybe you think of Jesus making the great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Or maybe you think about Peter five minutes after that where he tells Jesus he's not going to be crucified and Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You know, you think of several other events throughout Peter's life, but you probably think of Peter as the apostle. Apostle Peter. That's the way you think of him because that's the way we know him. That's what the rest of this New Testament presents. You only hear about Peter being a fisherman a couple of times. And the first time is here. So think about this. Early Christians who knew Peter probably know Peter the way we do. They know him as the Apostle. So Matthew throws in, when Jesus finds these two, they're casting a net into the sea. Well, why in the world's an apostle out there throwing a net into the sea? Shouldn't he have been, you know, in theology school or doing something like that? Shouldn't he have been in seminary? Shouldn't he have been, I don't know, memorizing the, the Torah or healing somebody? Shouldn't he have been doing something like that? No, they were casting a net into the sea because they were fishermen. That was their job. That's what they did. They were secularly employed. You know that most rabbinic students, students who hitch their wagon to a rabbi, you know, if you read Paul, it says he was trained by Gamaliel. He was brought up at the feet of... That Paul was a highly educated man. Do you know when their education would have probably started? Down here. They get started real early. That it was, it was kind of a dog-eat-dog world in the religious education system, the way it worked is they would start when they were young and if they showed the acumen, they would keep going and if they didn't show the acumen, they would cast a net or do something else. Their, their opportunity had kind of passed. If they weren't hooked up with a rabbi by now, they probably weren't going to be. So these guys were secularly employed, but Jesus sees them and he calls them and says, come out of this boat. He sees them as fishermen and still zeroes in on them. It's funny to me. It, I always thought it was funny that Matthew took the time to tell me they were fishermen. But y'all, I'm, I'm an inerrantist. I believe that every word is in this Bible because God intended it to be there. And I believe every word in this Bible is where it's supposed to be because God intended it to be there. So if Matthew took the time to tell me that these two were fishermen, he had a very good reason and God had a very good reason for reminding us that they were fishermen. They were out on the boat fishing when Jesus called them. Y'all, fishing is a trade. It's not a hobby. Right? Okay, some of us, if you like to fish... You think of fishing as you get your tackle box and you get your rod or you get your pole or you get your fly and you go stand out in the water or you go climb in the boat and you pull them out one at a time. And uh, I, somebody in this church told me, man, if you get out in the boat and you pull in a mess of fish and you get a chance to clean them and fry them, that's a day. That's a fun day. I, I, I don't like cleaning them, but I like eating them. I like the catching them and I like the eating them, but I don't like the middle part. Some of y'all do. So how about I catch them, y'all clean them, I eat them. We'll do that. Um, it's a hobby. It's relaxing. It's fun. But for folks who do it as a trade, y'all ever watch Deadliest Catch on TV? Y'all ever seen that show? 
they're out on the boat and they're throwing nets. And not only do you have to get them in, you've got to get them on the boat. You've got to get good ones on the boat. And then you've got to get them back to the shore. And then you've got to hope that the price when you get them to the shore is as high as it was when you went out to get them. And you're making a living. And it's kind of like farming. If you get a good crop, you get paid. If you get a bad crop, you don't. So you're dependent on whether or not you pull them out of the water into the boat and you've got enough good ones that you can live. It's a skilled profession that you've got to know what you're doing. Just because you can wet a hook, you wouldn't cut it out here with these guys. They've got to know how to fix a net like you saw the sons of Zebedee doing. They've got to know how to cast it. They've got to know how to haul it in. They've got to know how to sail, which means they've got to know how to, you know, if the weather gets nasty, they've got to know how to not die. They got to know how to fix their boat. They got to know how to patch holes. They got to know how to tie knots. They got to know how to negotiate the price of their catch. There's a lot of moving parts. It's a profession. And y'all, they were good at it. <clears throat> how do I know they're good at it? This is not on your handout, but if you were to jump over to John 21, 2 through 3, Jesus has already been crucified, dead, and buried and risen by John 21. And Peter's trying to process all of everything that's happened, and he's a little down in the dumps right now, because I think we see in the rest of John 21, he's trying to process that Jesus is alive, and he's denied Christ, and everybody else is trying to process that Jesus is alive, and they don't know what this looks like. So what does Peter do? Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, <coughs> The sons of Zebedee, remember who we saw in 21 and 22, and two other of his disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. And they said to him, we're going with you also. And they went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. Now, does that seem like an odd passage to use to tell you they're good fishermen? They went out and they caught nothing. You're going to use that to tell me they were good at their job? <clears throat> Yeah, I am, because consider this. Matthew 19, 27 says, Peter answered him, talking to Jesus, and said, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? When he left all, look at verse 20. What did they leave? When they went to follow Jesus in Matthew 4, verse 20, what did they leave? They left their nets. They left their nets. They left their boat. They left their buckets, they left their hooks, they left their tools, they left their professional network, some of them left their dads, they left everything, which means they left the tools of the trade. So when they go fishing in John 21, where did their tools of the trade come from? Now, I don't have any explicit text of Scripture to confirm this to me, but assuming they approached the engagement as day laborers, it seems reasonable to me to believe that one of two things happened. Either the man whose equipment they were using knew who they were and hired them instantly, or they were able to prove to him in short order that they knew what they were doing. When they left and followed Jesus, they did not leave their skills, talents, and abilities and lifetime of learned career knowledge behind them. They had a marketable trade 
that they carried with them. And when Jesus went looking for His disciples, He did not go straight to the temple and pull out the religiously educated, academia-saturated scholars who had all of the churchy talent, skills, abilities, and equipment. He went to the side of the water and pulled out some tradesmen. That's who he wanted. I might even say that's who he needed. Now, wait a minute. Josh, are you telling me that Jesus needs something? If Jesus designed his apostles to function in a particular way with particular skill sets, then yes. He designed the church to need people of various talents and skill sets, didn't he? So the church needs people of various talents and skill sets. The apostles needed people of various talents and skill sets. Jesus, did He need them personally? No, but He knew the church was going to need them. Jesus could have gone and got any fisherman to do it, but Jesus wanted a fisherman. He wanted the tradesman. So... We've already said this. We tend to think that there are church skills and secular skills. This is a false distinction. Jesus doesn't want you to be a whatever you are outside the church, but somebody totally different inside it. We usually talk about this from the opposite direction. Right? That we, you come in church and you hear preaching and you hear the Bible and you hear the gospel and it's usually preached from the perspective we don't want you to be a, a nice, moral, Jesus-loving Christian inside the church and then go outside the church and be a heathen and deny everything that you are inside the church. Normally, that's the way we hear it. But do you know the opposite is true too? Jesus doesn't want you to be a tradesman or a tradeswoman outside the church and then completely abandon all that when you come inside the church. Whatever skills and ability and talents and resources you have out there, bring it in here. Don't abandon that. God can use any station in life or any skill set for His glory if you're willing to follow Him with it. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 17 and then verse 20. But as God has distributed to each one as the Lord has called him, so let him walk. Let each one remain in the same calling in which he was called. That please, please, please don't count yourself out just because you go, oh, well, I don't have a job that I think has any usefulness in the church. It does. How do I know that? Verse 19. Then he said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus calls them to himself with a purpose. Now y'all, I pulled out as many different translations of the Bible as I could find. And every single one of them takes verse 19 and says, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. It's a beautiful little play on words in English, isn't it? He goes to the fisherman and says, Come to me, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. There's only one problem with that. It's a bad translation. Which is funny because every English Bible I found used it. I think it's the influence of the King James. is that It's, it's very clear that Jesus intends them to kind of sit, carry on a similar task. But what happens in the Greek is that Jesus doesn't use a separate word. He says, you are fishermen. And I want to make you fishermen. 
I just want you to fish for something else. I don't want you... See, we teach this verse... The same way I've ever heard this verse taught is we teach this verse as though people, everyone is... Now, please, y'all, don't, don't get me wrong. There are folks that Jesus calls and He calls to completely leave behind their old way of life, pick up and transplant somewhere else and do something totally new, right? I, I can see a couple people nodding heads in here that know that, okay? And I'm going I'm to take advantage of the illustration when I can use it. <laughs> There are some people that Jesus picks up and He calls somewhere totally new to do something totally different with a, a brand new skill set that you've got, to, you've got to learn new languages, you've got to learn new abilities, you've got to maybe learn a new trait. Jesus does that, okay? But Jesus doesn't always do that. Sometimes Jesus picks you up and says, you are a fisherman of fish. But I want you to be a fisherman of people. I want you to bring the same mindset, the same skills, the same abilities into my church. And I want you to ply your trade for me. Well, how did that apply to us? Some of y'all are teachers outside the church. You know how to teach people. You could teach people inside the church. Does that mean that you have to be a Sunday school teacher? No. Because you know what else teachers are? Mentors to kids. Mentors to other people. You know how to develop people. That's what your skill set is. Some of y'all know how to grow stuff. Grow stuff for Jesus. You can use that as an outreach. You can use that evangelistically. Some of y'all know how to do technological stuff. Don't dump that outside the church. Bring it in here. Some of y'all know how to do stuff that is so random and so off the wall that I can't even think about mentioning it behind this pulpit. Not because it's bad, but because I just flat don't, I can't think of it. Bring that in here too. Well, Josh, how's that going to work? I don't know. That's why I put this in your bulletin. I put some questions on here. Are you a, are you a member of Stapleton Baptist Church? Well, if you're not a member, if you don't know the Lord, then hear me by saying, I promise you, whatever is in your life, whether it's your, your past, whether it's your employment, I promise you, Jesus can turn that around and use that for His glory. That There are sermons like, hey, we're in Revelation. Listen, last week I preached a sermon that said, hey, one of the benefits of salvation is that, you know, you don't get attacked by demons. That's great. Okay, that's a wonderful benefit of salvation and having the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. Great benefit. Another benefit of salvation is that Jesus takes the person He's made you to be and develops you into a man or a woman that does what He has enabled you to do for His glory better than you've ever done it for your own. That, that, that is another benefit of coming to Jesus. 
And I want you to come to Jesus so that He can make you who He intended you to be. But until you are a member here, I can't use you in that capacity. So if you know the Lord and you're not a member here and you don't have a church home, come be a member here so we can use you. So first I said, are you a member of Stable and Baptist Church? If so, what's your name? Because I can't follow up with you if I don't know who you are. Are you serving in the church in any capacity whatsoever? That's not a judgy, preachy question. I'm not asking that to shame you, to condemn you, or to guilt you. I'm asking you that because there is satisfaction and growth in serving the Lord that does not exist outside of serving the Lord. That Jesus saved you with a purpose. He intends you to be doing something. So if you're already doing something here, great. If you're not doing something here, then let's identify that. If you're not serving, what skill, passion, or resource do you have that you will let God use to further His kingdom here? Because I'm going to assume the best of people who claim to know Jesus and assume that if you know God has given you a gift, you want to use it to serve the Lord and not just sit on it and refuse to serve the Lord with it. So I'm going to assume that, that we want to. You say, well, wait a minute, pastor, I've got this gift, I've got this skill, I've got this talent, I've got this ability that God's given me. But I can't look at the church and find anywhere that fits. You know, the nominating committee puts their report out every year and I see these positions and I don't look like I'm fit for any of these positions. So there's not anywhere for me to serve. Number four. If we do not currently have a space in which you feel that skill, passion, or resource can be used, would you be open to meeting with the pastor about finding a way to use it by starting something new here? Say, well, pastor, God's given me this, this resource. God's given me this skill set. God's given me this trade. But I don't know any way that Stapleton Baptist Church can use it. Well, let's sit down and talk about it and see if we can find somewhere for you to serve. If God brought you here, you are here for a reason and we need you. We need you to serve. Jesus intends you to serve and He intends to bless your service. He doesn't want you to just abandon everything that He's given you out there. I kid you not, if I'm lying, I am dying that I said this when I was in college. I stole that from Jerry Clower. If I'm lying, I'm dying. Y'all, I have the most eclectic set of skills and resources that I have built up over the years. You, know, you ever heard somebody say, jack of all trades, master of none? Sometimes I feel kind of like that. Um, that I can... My mom got me a guitar when I was in high school and I can play it decent enough that I can get through four chord country or a few hymns, but I'm not ever going to play any big symphonic, you know, guitar. I'm I'm not going to ever play guitar in an orchestra somewhere. Okay? I'm not going to do it. I can play chords unless they involve me playing a bar chord, in which case I can't do that. I'll, I'll capo it until I can do something else. Uh, I have lots of random technological knowledge, but I'm not ever going to be an IT specialist. 
I can fix basic issues and build basic things and fix and deal with little basic problems, but I'm not going to solder your computer back together if something fries, okay? I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. I'll light something on fire. I have lots of random adapters and cables from weird little electronic devices that I've put together over the years. And I looked at somebody in college after I had decided I was going to, after I had not decided, after I had agreed with God that I was going to be obedient and go into ministry. I looked at somebody one day and I said, do you know, I feel like the way God is putting things together in my life, I'm going to need some skill sets because I feel like God's setting me up to be like the only full-time staff member in a church somewhere. And I'm going to need to do multiple jobs. I've needed my guitar here. I've needed my technology here. Vacation Bible School, when we had some technical difficulties, guess where a lot of those adapters came from? They came out of my closet. Some of them are eight, nine years old. That came from things that don't even exist anymore. I'm telling you, the most random things in your life that think have no purpose being there whatsoever and you can't explain how you got from point A to point B. You got from point A to point B the route you did because God intends you to use everything He gave you on that route for His glory where you are right now. Don't ever overlook something that God has sovereignly put in your life as a way to serve Him. Not everybody is a fisherman, but that just means the church needs people who aren't. God designed the church that way. Look at Ephesians 4, 11-13 on your handout. He Himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Here's how this works. That Jesus called the apostles and the prophets in days gone by and they laid the foundation of the church where Jesus is His chief cornerstone. You guys don't need me to be an apostle. You don't need me to be a prophet. We've got good apostles and good prophets already. They're in your Bible. You can read them anytime you want to. They laid the foundation of the church and Jesus is His chief cornerstone. Today, we have vocational evangelists, pastors, and teachers whose goal is to equip the fullness of the church. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. You want, me to tell, you want me to tell you how I know what a dying church looks like? A dying church is somebody who hires a pastor and says, he's going to reach this community for us. That's a dying church. Because when you look at Scripture, now that's not to say that the pastor is not intended to be an evangelist. A pastor is supposed to be evangelistic because a pastor is a Christian. Christians are supposed to be evangelistic. That's why a pastor is supposed to be evangelistic. The job of a pastor and the job of a teacher is to equip the church, equip the saints to do the work of the ministry. So your pastor doesn't need you to be a pastor unless God has called you to be a pastor. I'm not preaching up here and trying to develop you into pastors. If, if you develop into a pastor, it's because God developed you into a pastor. Not because I did. What my job is, is to get up here and preach sound doctrine to you so that you would be the absolute best 
teacher, the absolute best technician, the absolute best whatever you are for Jesus. That's what my job is to do. Because each of us have different gifts. So when folks over here with their gifts are serving God in a way that folks over here with their gifts can't, then they'll see God work in ways that these people never would because they're not doing these jobs. And the same thing vice versa. But remember, we're one body. So these folks over here see God responding to these tradesmen one way, and they see God responding to these tradesmen another, and everybody gets to know God a little bit better because we're doing this as one unified family in Christ. And the whole body grows up in unity and fullness to the full measure of Christ, and we all glorify God together because we go, wow, look at this modeled up mosaic of people that are nothing like each other, that are all serving God in different ways, and God is blessing His kingdom through all of us using our gifts together. Now that's a lot different from professional saints doing all the church work on their own, isn't it? God never designed the church to work that way. Your pastor doesn't need you to grow into a pastor. Your pastor needs you to grow into who Jesus is calling you to be, even if there is no ministry of the church like that right now. In all likelihood, there isn't. That's what you're here for. Say, well, pastor, who's going to start the ministry that fits my skill set? You are. You are. What you waiting on? Well, I don't know if I'm cut out for it. You're not. That's what the Holy Spirit's for. (laughs) You're going to fall on your face a couple of times. That's fine. The rest of the church will fall on our face right with you and we'll help pick you up and we'll dust ourselves off and we'll get better at it. We'll do it. So second, Jesus calls them to Himself with a purpose. And then finally, Jesus gives them the equipment for the job. Look at verse 20. They immediately left their nets and followed Him. So we talked about this a little bit before, that when they left and they followed Jesus, they left behind all the equipment they ever knew how to use. Jesus wanted them to do the same job, but with a different object. Now, if, if, if as many of us as have ever done evangelism, that's what Jesus qualifies as being fishermen of men, right? Have you ever practiced evangelism by carrying a large net outside and throwing it over the people you wanted to share the gospel to and hauling them into the church like that? Have you ever done that? If you have, we will call Officer Hoffman and he will come get you And we will talk about that in a court of law. That is not what you're supposed to do. You use different equipment to reach people than you do to reach fish. Right? Fish require nets. They left their nets behind because they weren't going after fish anymore. They are going after people. Jesus clearly would not have intended them to cast nets into crowds. While similar in some ways to fishing, this would require new tools. Learning new skills. And when they left their boats to follow him, they left them with the understanding that he would provide what they needed to do it. Look at Exodus 31, 1 through 5. The Lord spoke to Moses. This is after he's given the designs 
for the tabernacle and every and all the equipment that goes in it. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, See, I have called my na- by my name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and in all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze and cutting jewels for setting and carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. Do you know that God has the ability to give you the skills you need to do what He has called you to do? Like, well, Pastor, I think I'm called to lead a Bible study, but I've never done that before. Okay? So I must be wrong because I don't have any skill in teaching. No. Jesus has got the skill for teaching and maybe He's waiting to give it to you for you to obey Him and say, yes, I'll do it. Well, pastor, I think we as a church need to reach out to these people, but I've never started an outreach ministry before. I don't know how to do that. Well, one way to learn. First Timothy 4, 13-14. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the, neglect the gift that is in you, which was given by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Now, y'all, who is the source of prophecy? It's not the prophet. Who's the source of prophecy? That's God. Through the person of the Holy Spirit. So if Paul says to Timothy, there is a gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy, if God is the source of prophecy, who was the source of Timothy's gift? God was. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, God has given you a gift Do not neglect the gift that is in you. He has given you skills. He's given you abilities. He has given you talents. He has given you traits. So don't neglect them. If you are a member of Stapleton Baptist Church and you are not serving somewhere, don't take your pastor as judging you or guilting you or shaming you. Take your pastor as pleading with you. Sit down this afternoon. Take stock of your life where God has led you along on your path to today and say what skills, talents, abilities, resources, passions, loves, cares has God put in my life and on my heart that I... I might take and give back to Him and lay on the altar and say, I will use this Jesus whenever, however you want me to for your glory and the growth of your kingdom in Stapleton because y'all, that's what God's waiting on from us. Mark and Joyce are about to lead us in a couple verses of an invitation hymn.